there is a there's a, a a song that uh, regularly appeared on Sesame Street back in the day when I was a kid, and it's called One of These Things. And uh, the song says, three of these things belong together. Three of these things are kind of the same, but one of these things is doing its own thing. See, the, the, today's passage in the Sermon on the Mount kind of feels like one of these things. It, it appears to, to be doing its own thing. It seems to be out of place. And some of you might be into your feelings when I read these words of Jesus. And some may give Jesus the spiritual side eye, asking yourself, what you talking about, Jesus? You just gave all these wonderful beatitudes. Now what are you talking about? So, so what's the passage that seems not to belong, the one that appears to be doing its own thing? It's Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. And these verses do belong in the Sermon on the Mount, and they're not doing their own thing. In fact, this passage is is important to the whole sermon. As one commentator says, Matthew 5, 17 through 20 is the main thesis statement in the whole Sermon on the Mount. Think about that. Engage your emotions for a moment. You see, Jesus prepares to enter into the main course of the sermon with these five verses. And at the same time, he continues to give his disciples convictions that he wants them to embrace. Last week, uh, in last week's sermon, the, the, the conviction was for his disciples to be influences of the way. Influences of the way. And in today's sermon, the conviction is for his disciples to be under influence, under his influence his Savior influence, his Lordship influence, his teaching influence. This is going to be two sermons. I tried, I really did try to make it one, but the pastor couldn't do it. So it's two sermons, and both are important. So you guys show up next week, or you're going to have half of the sermon. So come back next week. And the main point, and my main point in both sermons is this. Please take note. Since Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, believers are now free to use them as a guide through life. As a guide. Since Jesus completes the law and the prophets, believers are now free to live by their influence as a lamp through life. Without fear, without judgment, without guilt without shame, and without condemnation because of who you are in Christ. That's my main point. So open your Bible to Matthew 5, beginning in verse 17. Here's God's word to his beloved sons and daughters. This is Christ, our Lord, speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, not until heaven and earth pass away, not our old and our dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes on the, on the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's holy Inerrant, perfect word. 
even the parts that are hard to understand. Please pray, pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to this difficult passage here, I pray you give wisdom. I pray you give understanding. I pray that you will move. I pray that you will be the one who is at work here. And I pray that Christ will receive the glory of everything that is said from this pulpit and everything that's done in this service. And I do pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. People, and myself included, are prone to make assumptions. We're prone to make assumptions about anyone or anything. And we are, sometimes we assume things are true even when there's no proof that it's true. It's just an assumption. So what kind of assumptions have you made this week about people, about yourself? Because we do make assumptions about ourselves. That's when we beat ourselves up. And about Jesus. What kind of assumptions have you made this week? In his book, The, the Four uh, Agreements, Don, Don uh, Miguel says, the problem with making assumptions is that we believe they are true. We invent a whole story that's only true for us. But we believe it. We believe it. One assumption leads to another assumption. We jump to conclusions and we take our story very personal. We make assumptions and we believe we are right about our assumptions and we will defend our assumptions. You see, Jesus knows humanity is prone to make assumptions about anything and anyone. And that includes him. That includes him. If we're honest, we all have a Jesus of our own imagination. If we're honest. So in John 2, verses 24 and 25, this is what John says. He says, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness uh, about man for himself. He knew what was in man. So Jesus knows that, that we are prone to make assumptions. And that's why he made this preemptive statement in verse 17. It's a preemptive statement. And his purpose is to prevent a wrong assumption, to prevent assumptions about him and the Old Testament, to hold back wrong assumptions about his relationship with the Old Testament. Consider your relationships. Think about them for a moment. Has anyone ever made a wrong assumption about your relationship with a girl? A guy, a co-worker, a classmate, a teammate, or neighbor. Has anyone ever made wrong assumptions about your relationships? You can participate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we're either on the receiving end of assumptions or we're the one making assumptions. And here's the thing about assumptions. They make something out of you. And they make you a donkey. And you don't want to be a donkey. And Jesus doesn't want you to be a donkey. He doesn't want his original listeners to be a donkey. So he doesn't want us having a misunderstanding about his relationship with the Old Testament. He wants us to think rightly, to recognize, and to see clearly. My new favorite person in the world, in her book, Dare to Lead, uh, Renee Brown, she is my new favorite person in the world. So if you have not read any of her books, please do so. She says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Clear is kind, unclear is unkind. She continues, feeding people half-truths, 
to make them feel better is unkind. Not getting clear with a colleague about your expectations because it feels too hard and yet holding them accountable and blaming them for not delivering is unkind. Talking about people rather than to them is unkind. Jesus is getting ready to be kind. He's getting ready to be crystal clear about his relationship with the Old Testament. Clear about what he wants you to see and to think about that relationship. He says in verse 17a, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Say what, Jesus? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are summary words for the entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi. And Jesus' incarnation, him coming in the incarnation, does not destroy the Old Testament. Okay? These are all amen statements. His earthly ministry does not invalidate the Old Testament. His preaching and his teaching and his miracles don't nullify the four main sections of the Old Testament. The Pentateuch, the historical books, the poetry, minor prophets, and major prophets. Jesus has not come to tear down the words of his own father. That's not his intent. That's not his purpose. That's not his agenda. So don't assume that I have come into the world in order to abolish the law of the prophets. Don't make a donkey out of yourself here. Because TVC Saints, ask yourself these questions. Why would Jesus eradicate that which bears witness about him? Why would he make irrelevant the very words that testify about his coming? Why would he undermine his own ministry? Why would he deny himself? That's all kind of nonsense. He doesn't shoot himself. He doesn't shoot himself in the foot. He's not a bull in a china shop when it comes to his relationship with the Old Testament. It is not a toxic relationship. It is healthy. For the, all the Old Testament scriptures are about Jesus. All of them. All the Old Testament prophecies are about Jesus. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so if Jesus denies God's Word, he is denying himself. And he does not deny himself. In Luke 24, Jesus appears to two people on the road to Emmaus. And this, this is one of his post-resurrection appearances. And in this appearance, Jesus draws near to, to two people while they are having a private conversation about his crucifixion. And see, they don't recognize Jesus as he approaches them. Verse 16 says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. For, for them, Jesus was just some regular man on the road to Emmaus, a stranger. But Jesus doesn't pass them by. He gets a little nosy. You see, about the conversation. He gets into that business. So he's eavesdropping on that conversation. So he goes up to them and he says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? The people stood there looking sad, perplexed by his question. Then one of them said to tell Jesus everything that happened to him in Jerusalem. See, they don't notice Jesus. So they recount to Jesus the very things that happened to him three days ago. Tell him about the empty tomb. Tell him about all his disciples who went to the tomb and saw that it was empty. And then in verses 25 and 26, this is what Jesus tells these two people. Oh, foolish ones, 
O slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And in verse 27, Luke says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. So what are these scriptures that Luke is referring to? The Old Testament. It all concerns Jesus. All is about him. All concerns Jesus. And in John 5, Jesus had a similar encounter with a group of local folk. And this happened before his crucifixion and the resurrection. See, he gets in this conflict because he heals somebody on the Sabbath day. And so some Jews are caught up in their feelings because Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day. They call him a Sabbath breaker. He's breaking the law. And not only that, they, they, he even intensifies the conflict because he says God is his father, making himself equal with God. And that really ticked them off because then they wanted to kill him. And in verse 39 and 40, this is what Jesus says to these local folk. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Again, all the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, is about Jesus. He has not come to abolish them. He has come to do something else. Look at verse 17b. They have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Jesus' relationship with the Old Testament is a relationship of fulfillment. And this fulfillment is one of the purposes of the Incarnation. And the term fulfill means to give the true and complete meaning of something, to fill up. You see, the law and the prophets, they aren't complete in themselves. The entire Old Testament isn't limited to their historical context with the ancient people of Israel. The entire Old Testament looks and points forward to someone greater. It foreshadows someone greater, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. That is Jesus of Nazareth. He alone fills up the law and the prophets. He comes to complete them. To complete them. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? One author says, in Christ, an Old Testament design is for the first time realized in an actual building. In Jesus, an Old Testament design it's for the first time realized in the actual building. Do you see clearly? Do you understand clearly? And do you believe clearly? In verse 18, Christ says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not I older, not I doubt will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Strong affirmation by Christ. Do you sense the, 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 the strength and the authority of his words. For whenever you see this phrase, for truly I say to you, that is the signature of Jesus. He adds force to what he's getting ready to say. He negates any misunderstanding that they may have. Not the smallest detail from the law of the prophets will pass until all of it has been accomplished. Remember, clear is kind. And Jesus is clear that the Old Testament scriptures are still relevant. And what does that mean? It means it is still God's holy word. It is still God's divine revelation and testimony. 
And everything in the Old Testament has been accomplished, completed, and fulfilled in Jesus Christ alone. Both in the present and in the future. So in the present, that's in, in the present tense, that's in his first coming. That's his ministry, his teaching, his life, his death, and his resurrection. All of that fulfills the law and the prophets. But do you believe that? He fulfills the prophets through his actions, and he fulfills the law through his teaching. Do you believe it? There's also a future aspect to this fulfilling. That happens when in his second coming, because he is coming again. And this time when he comes, he's coming to take care of business. He's coming to judge the living and the dead, to fully establish God's kingdom and to gather all the saints of God together to take them home. Because everything would be complete. Everything would be perfectly fulfilled. But do we believe that? Do we live in that reality as believers? In Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, Yahweh Elohim says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent in it. The Lord just drops the mic with those words. Because Jesus fulfilling the law is God's word accomplishing its purpose. I hope you know that. Jesus completing, fulfilling the Old Testament is God's word succeeding in the purpose for which it was sent. But again, do you believe that? Do you see that? And then Romans 10, 14 says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Amen. You can't get to that if you don't believe he completes the Old Testament. You can't get to that verse in Romans 10 if you don't believe he'll fulfill everything. Because you're going to try to fulfill it. I got to tell you, you ain't going to do a good job. And so that, so that brings us to this question. Do you want to be made right with God? Do you want to be made right with him? Adults, do you want to be made right with him? Kids, do you want to be made right with him? Do you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior? He's the way. He's the way. Not an alternative way. Not an optional way. Not a different way. He's God's way. The priestly way, the prophetic way, the kingly way, the redemptive way, the reconciliation way, the fulfillment way, the salvation way, the restoration way, the justice way, the complete way, and the only way. The only way. As Dr. Strange told Tony Stark in Infinity War, this was the only way. It was the only way, Tony. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the only way. The only way. He alone died on the cross for your sins. 
He alone. He alone took the burden that was meant for us and took it upon himself. And all you have to do is confess your sins to him and submit and surrender to him as Lord and Savior. And as they see up on the image, his hands are extending out to you. Will you take hold of them? Will you receive him? And yes, every week you're going to hear the gospel. Will you come? If you want complete forgiveness, then you need to come to Jesus. There is no other way. T. Austin Sparks, he's one of my favorite theologians. He says, God's answer is always in his son for every movement, whether that movement be in the world or whether that movement be in the church. God's answer will always be in his son. In his son. Are you struggling? You need to go to Jesus in prayer. Are you doubting? You need to go to Jesus. It's always back to Jesus. So you come to the Son to find rest for your mind, body, and soul. You come to him. If he has completed everything that that God's law has required on your behalf, then all you got to do is receive him. And it's finished. It's finished. And so if you know Jesus today, that means you have everything you need from God right now. But do you believe it? There's nothing that you can add to get more of God's favor. You have it all. All of it. He likes you. He adores you. But do you believe that? See yourself the way God sees you, a son and daughter. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find yes in Jesus. All the promise of God for you find their yes in Jesus. But do you believe that? He doesn't say you get the promise if you work hard. doesn't say you get the promises if you go to church every Sunday. It doesn't say you get the promises if you have your quiet time every day. It doesn't say you get the promises if you if you memorize the whole book of the Bible. He says the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Amen. And I promise that we don't believe it. We we can't we we place a burden on ourselves. If you're not enjoying your walk with Jesus, it is your fault. Because you place legalism on yourself. You do that to yourself. That's not, that's not, that's not God. You don't want to rest. Those hands mean come rest. Come rest. Come rest. And when you're resting, then you live. Free. That's hard for Americans. Because we are overachievers. We don't like handouts. We, we like working for what we get. God's kingdom is a welfare-based system. And if you don't like being on welfare, then you don't like being in God's kingdom. Because you didn't earn anything to be in it, and you don't do anything to stay in it. It's all him. So enjoy your food stamps. <laughs> enjoy them. Because without them, you have no joy. You have no peace. You have no hope. 
You have no happiness. You have nothing. So enjoy them. Saints. The song we're going to get ready to sing says we stand on the promises of Christ our King. We stand on promises that cannot and will not fail. We stand in the victory which Christ makes free. Think about that word. We stand in the liberty where Christ makes us free. We overcome daily by the spirit sword. We rest in our Savior who is our all in all. So we stand on the promises of our Lord. So stand up, saints. Rise up, saints. And with one voice, we're going to sing standing on the promises of God.